Um, if you are visiting with us this morning, um, it's great to have you. There's many places that you could, well, Sunday afternoon, I'm sorry. There's many places you could be this Sunday afternoon. Uh, God has chosen to have you here. And I believe that you are in the right place. You have caught us in the middle of a sermon series on the book of Colossians. So if you could please open up your Bibles to Colossians. We're going to continue in, in our study of that book. And I don't know if, if you've ever bought into the lie that perhaps you were missing something in your faith, that perhaps uh, you just weren't enough or uh, you're not good enough or you need to add something to the the, the basic foundational faith of Jesus Christ um, so that you could maybe break through, maybe so that you could get to the next level, maybe so that you could um, aspire to something more, to something greater in Christ. I know that I've um, bought into that many times. I'm thinking that uh, I need Jesus plus maybe the, the latest self-help book. I need Jesus and, you know, my own personal efforts to make things right or to make me righteous. But I'm here to tell you this morning that is not the truth. As we uh, look here in Colossians, the Apostle Paul was in prison in Rome One of the ministers that Paul had trained named Epaphras came and visited him and told him about how the gospel had borne fruit in his hometown of Colossae. And there was a new church there. The disciples were firm in their faith, but false teachers were trying to deceive them and teach them to depend on other philosophies in addition to Jesus Christ. The teaching in essence was Jesus plus. Or Jesus and. And that Jesus alone was not enough. Paul writes this letter to the church emphasizing how they don't need anything else. But that their faith is complete. And not only is their faith complete, but they are complete in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. And so in the section that we'll be reading this morning, Colossians, this afternoon, sorry, Colossians 2 verses 1 through 7, Paul wants them to know that even though he isn't there with them, he isn't there with them in person, he is there in spirit and he's fighting for them even while he's in prison. He goes on to tell them to not be deceived, to not be distracted by the false teachers, but to keep living their lives in Jesus Christ just as they were taught. And so, how do we avoid deception from false teaching? How do we stay on track? That was Paul's concern as he wrote this letter, and I think Paul has some things to share with us this morning that we'll get into. Let's please pray. Oh, also, as we do, we prayed on Wednesday night about a friend of um, Sheila Bowen's I don't know where Sheila is, but um, oh, I'm sorry. There you are. I just looked right at you. But uh, a friend of Sheila Bowen, we prayed for her um, child. She had gone into early labor. Unfortunately, the, the child did pass. The child didn't make it. Um, so we're going to take some time to pray this morning um, for her, obviously the mom and her family as well. Let's pray. Um, God, we, we know that you are righteous. You are altogether holy and pure. Father, you're faultless and you're sovereign. You're great and you're awesome in who you are, God. And 
we would never want to bow our knees to anyone else besides you. We know that you fully take care of us. You fully complete us, God. You make us whole every single day of our lives. And we need no one else besides you, your son, Jesus Christ, and the spirit that dwells inside of us, Father. No humanistic teaching or legalistic rigor, Father, do we need to draw any closer to you or to be any more saved than we currently are. God, we pray that uh, we would all be insulated, insulated and fortified against the lies that are out there in this world that want us to uh, mix things in with your son or replace your son with different things. We pray that your son Jesus would always be the center and the focus of our lives, that he would always be the one that our lives revolve around. We do pray for Tanya, Father, who has lost her child. Uh, we know that she is uh, devastated at this time in her life. Her family, I'm sure, is, is sad and suffering too. Um, but we pray that your love would comfort her, would comfort her family as well. And uh, even through her circumstances as hard and as trying as this, that, that she would look to you for her peace, that she would look to you for her comfort, Father. And we know that if we seek you, surely we will find you. So we pray that you would be found um, by Tanya and by her family. We thank you so much, God, for the scriptures that build us up and that encourage us and that keep us on the right track. Uh, let us be that way this morning as we consider your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 The passage, once again, is Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. The title is Do Not Be Deceived. Do not be deceived. Paul writes in Colossians 2, beginning in verse 1, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delighted to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up, in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Do not be deceived. How can we safeguard against false teaching? I believe that Paul um, covers many things throughout his writings in the New Testament, but we're just going to look at, I believe, three of them this morning. One is we need to contend for each other. Contend for each other. In verse 1, he says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Paul wanted them to know that he was struggling for them. And, and why is that? I mean, Colossae, again, small town, backwoods, country bumpkin kind of people. You know, today it's just a mound in a hill. They, they met in a small house church. 
Why would Paul be concerned about this itty bitty group of of Christians when he had so many other things to be thinking about? Antioch, the church where he had come from, was a large church. Rome, where he was at the time, was a large church. Corinth was a large church. Why would he? You're laughing at my slide. (laughs) Do not be deceived. But why would Paul be so concerned about this small church? He had never even been there before. It's because Paul had a big heart. And Paul cared about all of the brothers and sisters. It didn't matter how large or how influential their church was. What mattered is that they had been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And Paul called them brother and Paul called them sister. I think that we can adopt the same kind of a heart. One, a heart that's not concerned only about our own ministry or about our own Bible talk. A heart that's thinking about other churches, other ministries. But in particular, a heart that thinks about maybe we might say lesser ministries. Um, Churches who are out there. Churches that are a lot smaller. Churches that might be a lot less influential. These churches and these brothers and sisters need to be on our hearts. Just like the brothers and sisters are right here in this room. Are you with me? And so what was the nature of his contending when he says, I want to let you know how hard I'm contending for you. Like, what does that mean? What were you actually doing? Because after all, he was chained to a Roman prisoner 24-7 and he was on house arrest. I mean, like, what actually was he doing? Well, I mean, obviously he he was penning letters to people, right? He was preaching the word of God. I mean, Paul's words were scripture. Paul spoke under the inspiration and the influence of the Holy Spirit and the words that we have today, Paul wrote and we take them as gospel. And so Paul was preaching the word to them by the letters that he wrote. But I think even more than that, Paul unleashed the amazing power of prayer when it came to these brothers and sisters. When he heard about a far off church that was doing well or maybe even doing poorly, Many times we read in his letters that Paul says, I haven't stopped praying for you. Colossians 1 9 says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Paul prayed. He contended for them. The Greek word there is where we get our word agony from or agonize. It it meant to fight. It meant to take part in an athletic contest. Uh, Paul was going to the mat for his brothers and his sisters as he wrestled in prayer for them. I know that um, as a a ministry staff, we wrestle in prayer for our church, our fellowship. I know that Leslie and I wrestle in prayer for this region, for the Tidewater region and other regions, obviously, as well. But we do our best to contend for our brothers and for our sisters. We want to see all of us make it to heaven one day, right? Not one left behind. Not one that doesn't get in. Not one that doesn't make it. But for all of us to get there. And not only do Leslie and I or the ministry staff or Paul have to contend for the churches. But we've got to contend for each other. We've got to fight for each other. We've got to speak the word to each other. We've got to open the the Bible with each other. We've got to pray for each other. Get out that list of the members in your Bible talking 
and start going down the line and praying for him. Even if you don't know him, pray for him anyway. Get a membership list of everyone in the Tidewater region, everyone in the Hampton Roads Church. Start praying down the list. I know you can't get through everybody in one day. That's okay. Just pray for about 10. And the next day, pray for another 10. And the next day, pray for another 10. It's okay if you don't know who they are, because guess what? You'll meet them in the fellowship and you'll be able to say, you know what? I prayed for you. So good to put a name with a face. But we've got to contend for each other. Contending for each other helps us to not be deceived, believe it or not. It keeps us in the faith. It keeps our relationships tight. And that keeps us on track. Second point. How else can we protect against deception or false teaching? Encourage and unite. Encourage and unite. Verse 2, Paul says, my goal, and he's talking about the goal of his contending, the goal of his fighting, the goal of his struggling. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart And united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so as Paul fought and contended for them and as he penned and wrote those letters, his his goal was that the churches would be united in love, that they would be encouraged in heart. The word encourage is the the root of it comes from the same uh, word that functions like the Holy Spirit does. The the Holy Spirit is known as the the paraclete, kind of like the defense attorney. He, He comes alongside us in a helpful way. And this same root word for encourage is, is that same word. That's what we can be doing for each other, encouraging, coming alongside each other, defending each other from the attacks of Satan and from this world. Why was this Paul's goal to encourage, to be in, for them to be encouraged and heart and united in love? Well, it's because an, an encouraging, loving, united church family completes our understanding of Jesus and gives light to our understanding of Jesus. Again, verse 2. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. Being encouraged in heart and united in love has something to do with us being able to understand. When we feel loved, when we feel encouraged, and when we're united, there's no barriers between us, and we feel great about one another, that helps us to understand who Jesus is. We see him better, believe it or not. Without it, we don't see Jesus as we should, and we can fall prey to false teaching as we begin to look for something else. I believe this is why so many world religions are growing so quickly. People are jaded with the church. I'm talking about just worldwide. People are jaded with the church and the idea of church. There's too many hypocrites in the church, people say. Oh, I don't feel the love in the church, people say. 
I'm not encouraged. There's too much backbiting, too much gossip in the church. There's low expectations. Aren't we supposed to be trying to live like Jesus? Then why is there sin running rampant in the church? When people are in an environment like that, do you see that? They don't see Jesus anymore. They don't understand Jesus anymore. Jesus stops making sense to them. And they say, I got to go look for something else here. And then the next passionate, fired up, committed group or organization that comes around gets their attention. And off they go. Why are so many young men attracted to gangs? Well, in a gang, a young man sees what he probably has not seen at home. Family. Closeness. Commitment. Loyalty. Unity. Believe it or not, even safety. These are the things that all human beings crave. If you're not getting it, you're going to go look for where you can find it. That should be in the church. And when we have an encouraging and united fellowship, that's exactly what people find. And when we're in an environment like that, doesn't it just feel like Jesus? It just feels good. You're just like this. This must be how Jesus feels. It must be what it was like to walk around with Jesus in Israel like the apostles did. This must mean what Jesus meant when he said, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. It feels like love. That's the way that we're supposed to feel within the church. Encouragement and loving unity unlocks the full riches of complete understanding so that we may know Christ. And we need understanding to know him. Hosea 4 says, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. And Paul prayed for the churches to have knowledge, to know Jesus better and better. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prays, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That was his prayer. That they would know Jesus better. And knowing Christ is a protection from deception. Because knowing him is knowing the truth. How can we encourage and unite? Two simple thoughts. One, help someone in the church find strength in God. Come alongside somebody. Somebody that you, maybe you know they're weak. Or maybe you sense that they might be weak. Come alongside them. Have a conversation. How are you doing? No, really. How are you doing? Is there anything I can pray for you for? Is there any way that I can help you, encourage you, support you? That's one way that we can encourage. How can we unite? Deal with unresolved conflicts and issues. If there's anything that separates us from a brother or for a sister, let's talk about it. Let's sit down. Let's flesh out all the different issues that are there so that we are at peace with one another. Amen. Amen. 
As we continue in the passage, Paul says here in in verse five, for though I'm absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. This word uh, discipline is a military term to kind of describe how orderly uh, a military or I don't know what your soldiers are when, you know, when they kind of stand like this and all of them look exactly the same. He's kind of saying that the church was like that. They had a firm discipline. But even though the church was firm in their faith, Paul knew how tempting that false teaching still could be. And so he continues to talk to them and warn them. He had to tell them that they didn't need anything more than Jesus. That all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge were in him. Verse three, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The, the, the false teachers tried to say that, that Jesus didn't have everything. That if you had Jesus, then you had a part of what you needed to know. You had a part of who you needed to be. But there was more out there that you still needed. Paul saying, no, within Jesus is contained all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's all inside of Jesus There's nothing left on the outside. They didn't need Jesus plus. They just needed Jesus. He talks about fine sounding arguments in verse four. And there are many of these fine sounding arguments out there as to why we need more than just Jesus. There's one that says we need to experience a a second blessing because First, you get saved, and then you need the power of the Holy Spirit after you get saved. We receive the Spirit when we're saved. It's the Spirit that marks and seals us for salvation. It's not an event or an experience that happens after salvation. Ephesians 1, again, Paul says, When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promise Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Another argument is that we need to learn secret knowledge because, well, there's things that have been purposely hidden from you that you really need to know to have this spiritual breakthrough. And only a few people have this knowledge. One of my family members talked to me over the last um, couple of weeks or so, and the family member started telling me about Jesus and and weird, strange things about Jesus, that he wasn't born when he was born, that he didn't really die, that he didn't really shed his blood on the cross. It was just an image of Jesus. And then the the relative at the end of of, of the, the, the conversation told me these are just things that a few people know. And I'm so glad that I've been able to tell you so that now you know. But not everybody knows these things. I'm like, come on now. That don't even make no sense. But this is, this is the, the, the way that, that it happens, you know, that we need some secret knowledge. You know, it's, 
It's the same line that Satan gave Eve in in Genesis 3. He says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She fell victim to Satan's fine sounding argument that she needed access to this secret knowledge. But she knew everything she needed to know from the beginning. God told her, don't eat the fruit from the middle of the tree in the garden. You don't need to know no more than that. (laughs) Hang out in the garden. Have a good time with Adam. Don't eat from that tree. (laughs) What more do you need to know? She thought she needed to know more. Another one. Arguments about why we should practice self-help. And the thing behind this argument is that because really, you're God. They they don't say that in the books, but that's really what's there. The reason why you need to buy this program, this six CD set, or come to this three-day seminar, or practice this mental gymnastics, or whatever it is, is because really, you're God. And you can change anything that you want to change if you just put your mind to it. You're going to be okay. Just destroy your self-limiting beliefs, as they say. As a young Christian, I used to read Tony Robbins. Now, I'm not saying anything. I don't know the man, okay? I'm just saying that, that he is big in, in self-help. And, and, and that's what I was big into before I became a Christian. After I'd gotten baptized, honestly, I didn't understand the Bible when I read it. And so I found it quite boring. But when I opened up Tony Robbins... I felt like, boy, my eyes are opened here. Like, I'm learning something. And what I realized is that the stuff that I was learning didn't last very long at all. I mean, I I would try and try and try to use these techniques and tactics and principles to overcome sin in my life. And it just didn't work. What I realized eventually was Galatians chapter 5. What does Paul say? That, that, That if you live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That's the key to overcoming sin is living by the Spirit. It's depending on God, not depending on myself. Self is what got me into this mess in the first place. Why do I want to keep depending on me? We've got to walk by the spirit. And so false teachers will tempt us to feel as if we lack and need more. But God literally bankrupted heaven when he sent Jesus down to earth. Everything that was up there that we need. God said, I'm just going to pour it all on out here in Jesus. And Jesus came to give us everything. Everything, everything that we need. It's in him. And so is there anything or anyone in which we seek our fullness and satisfaction in outside of Jesus Christ? I'm not saying you can't enjoy a nice meal or a movie 
like that sin or something like that because it's not in Jesus. Like you need to be reading your Bible every single second of every single day of every single week. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that are we depending upon anybody else besides Jesus? Are are we leaning on anything else besides Jesus? Is is there another leg in, in the stool besides Jesus Christ? It shouldn't be there. We've got to depend on Jesus for everything that we do. Let's not be deceived by fine sounding arguments, but know that we have all we need in Jesus Christ. Lastly, live in him. Live in him. Verse six. So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So this is another safeguard against deception. Paul encourages them to continue to live in Jesus just as they had initially received Jesus. They didn't receive a doctrine. They didn't receive a self-help book. They didn't receive special esoteric knowledge that took them up to the 18th heaven. Who they received was Jesus. And so Paul says, continue to live in Jesus and in Jesus himself as a person. I think it's easy to think um, as Christians that this is somehow my religion. This is my 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 doctrinal credo. You know, these are my my lists. My rules. This is my building. My church. I've been con- uh, converted to um, the Bible studies. I've been converted to discipleship. I've been converted to the, the traditions and the patterns of the church. And on and on and on. We've been converted to Jesus. And we've received Jesus. That's what he says. So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. Continue to live your lives in him, not in anything or anyone else. No structure, no pattern, no policy. Jesus. Amen. Amen. He says, live your lives in him rooted in him. It reminds me of Psalm one that says, blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. We've been transplanted from the world. At one time, our roots were dug into the world. We've been transplanted out of the world, and now we are planted in Christ, rooted, grounded in him. Paul says that we should be built up in him. So not just roots, but there should be some plants growing up and some stems and leaves and eventually fruit, right? This is the the ongoing sanctifying work that God does in our lives. He continues to help us to grow, continues to help us to change, to become more and more like Jesus every day and strengthened in that same faith so that we aren't simply young vines, but that we grow up strong 
and healthy, able to stand the test and weather the storm. And then ultimately overflowing with thankfulness. I think that all of us have experienced great joy and great gratitude from our connections with Jesus Christ. And this is all that Paul is simply talking about, that when you're rooted in him, when you continue to live in him, that that will ultimately overflow into great gratitude and joy and thankfulness. Basically, Paul is saying steady as she goes. Don't diverge. Don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. You're converted in Jesus. Stay in Jesus. When you got baptized, it was really simple. You remember that? When you got baptized, it was really simple. Wow, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I'm going to be getting baptized. You got out of the waters, you were like, woo, this is exciting. I'm kind of scared. Now what do I do, right? He's saying, just stay that way. (laughs) Just keep it right there. Don't lose your first love. Live in him. Don't be deceived. What we learned at first is still good enough today. The simplicity and purity of the message is still the same. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, died on a cross for our sins. He rose from the dead for our salvation. He was enough then. If you're a baptized follower of Jesus Christ, he's enough now. If not, we'd like to help you to live in him. We'd like to help transplant you from this world and plant you into Jesus Christ. Sit down and open the Bible with whomever brought you today. Get knowledge and find fullness in the Son of God. So as I wrap up, church, let's not be deceived. Let's go to the mat and fight and contend for each other. Let's encourage and unite in love So that Christ can be understood and let's not rely on humanistic teachings or be led astray by arguments that sound good. But let's live in him just as we received him. Amen. Let's not be deceived.